Well, good morning, guys. It is uh, great being back. For some of you, may, you may have known that uh, some of us were out for a few uh, weeks. One was we were on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic with the seniors and, high, uh, seniors and juniors in the high school, which was a great time. So for those of you that were praying for us, thank you. Uh, the Lord really did a great, great thing down there, and so uh, we, we rejoiced in seeing what happened. And then we were able to go to camp too, so that was been awesome. But aside from that, it is great being back. And one of the things that I love about here is just the community and the fact that we get to interact and joke with people. And even this past week, you know, being on our staff at a church, we get to do this that often. Uh, more than we should sometimes, I feel like. We, we, we literally have no... Uh, if you find something about somebody, you're going you, you know, to get talked to about it. And so uh, I remember just this past week, you know, thinking about this idea, this, this coming out into this topic, and I'm, and I'm doing my studies, and I'm looking into things that I, I think I knew to be true, but they were not. And, and, and I remember thinking to myself, if they find out that I just realized that this is not true, they will not let this go forever. But I'll, I'll come clean with you guys today because I'm sure that you two growing up have heard things being said to you, whether by your parents, whether by your teachers, whether by your friends, these things that you have been tell, told to you that you think to be truth. And maybe when you get older, when you mature, when you grow up, you find out that those things are not truth, that those things are not what you thought them to be. For example, the thing that I just came to recognition this past week was the fact that when you eat gum and you swallow it, it does not stay in your belly for seven years. I just found that out. I was at first grade, and I remember that when I, I saw a t-shirt that she saw me chewing a gum, and she went to get it from me, and I swallowed it, and she looked at me and said, that gum is going to be in your belly for seven years. Until this day, oh, this last week, I believe that to be true. I was afraid of swallowing gum. But I never stop and consider, how do we came to that conclusion? Who is their timing? Who was the experiment that said, hey, take this and we'll see you in seven years, right? But then I kept going and thinking, what other things that we have believed to be true that we don't, that they're not actually true? For instance, who came up with the idea that you have to wait an entire hour till you can jump to the pool after you eat? What a sadistic experiment was this, that they grab a random individual and say, hey, eat this burger and then jump in the pool and see if you can survive. <laughs> and then we keep doing it and doing it until you get to seven. Now, the other one that I grew up, it isn't, if you're in high school or you're in the middle school, this is not true. Look, I'm the perfect example that it was true, that I grew up thinking that if you shave often, you will grow more hair. And as you can tell, that is not true. But the one that really blows my mind is this idea of the five-second rules. Who really think, who, how do we come to that conclusion that we think that if you drop food, the bacterias are like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, five, and then finally when it's five, they jump in. But these are things that we think to, right? These are things that we grew up hearing, and we, not, we don't question it, especially if our parents tell us about it. We don't question it. We just go with it. And maybe when we get older and we get wiser, and maybe when you're in the United States of America and you're 30 years old and you happen to do, prepare for a message, you find out that these things are not true. And so... For me, this is, this is something that I was first, and I just experienced it. But in the passage that we're going to be addressing today in the book of Matthew, as we continue our series on the Sermon of the Mount, we'll find that the people in the crowd, them, some of them, if not all of them, grew up hearing this stuff that were taught by the religious leader. 
These are things that were not as silly and, 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 and things to dismiss. These were serious things, things that will push them to be devoted, that, that will influence their devotion to God, things that will influence how they pursue God. And these were things that they grew up hearing, they grew up thinking to be truth, and we're going to see how Jesus is going to come here and he's going to address these things. Now, today is kind of like an intro, intro to the next few uh, sermons because what Jesus is going to do in his Sermon of the Mount, as he's continuing his discourse, he's going to do six examples of things that the crowd grew up hearing that were out of context or were out of truth, and Jesus is going to address them as to this is what they actually mean. Now, last week, Pastor Bush talked about this idea that Jesus did not come to uh, abolish the law. He did not come here to say, hey, those things that the Old Testament are, are, are written, those things are no longer valuable. They're not longer important. That's not what Jesus came to do. He came to fulfill the law. But in this passage, you're going to see how he's going to address those particular things that are in the law, and he's going to prove to us or to the crowd, he's going to prove to the crowd what they actually mean. And so in the passage for today, we're going to be in Matthew 5, verse 21. You can join me with your Bibles or the, or the verses will be on the screen. It says this, you have heard that it was said to those of all, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable on the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, live your gift there, there before the altar and go first and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to the terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out of, uh, out of prison or out until you have paid the last penny. And so this is the passage that we have before today. And this is kind of an introductory, an introduction of what Jesus is going to be addressing on the next few verses. As he's going to pick six different examples from the Bible, from the Old Testament, as to things that they grew up hearing and how he's going to then explain to them. At his core, what Jesus is wanting them to understand, now, now assuming that we know who the audience is, the audience being a mix of not only the 12 disciples of Jesus, but also all these other new believers, people that came to know Jesus, that are now following Jesus, that are trying to learn what it's like to be a follower of Jesus, that they're trying to understand what it's like to be, a, what, it's like, what is genuine spirituality, but also what it's like to be a Christian living. These are the people in the audience. And Jesus now is going to demonstrate to them at his core that genuine Christianity or genuine spirituality in Christian living, it is an obedient heart towards God. That is what he's trying to get at in the next few verses of the Bible. Not only today, but in the ones that we're going to continue. It's that an obedient heart is the best example of a genuine spirituality, but also what Christian living looks like. And so he starts his discourse here in verse, seven, in verse 21 when he says, You have heard that it was said to those of all. He's saying to them, this is the thing that you have grown up hearing to be true. Now, you got to remember that in this time, not many of them were able to read and, to, uh, and had access to 
also to read, to material for them to read. So they heavily rely on the teaching of the religious leaders. And so the religious leader will go around teaching the crowd, and they were the standards of what Christianity, Christianity was like. That was the, or not Christianity, they were the standard of what holiness was. They were the ones that they would look at them and say, this is what we need to be in order to honor God. This is how we live our life to honor God. But that is why, if you remember the verse before, when the Pastor Bush addressed last week, when he says, if you want to enter the heavens, you have, your righteousness needs to exceed this of the religious leaders. Meaning that the religious leaders were not the standards of what Christianity or what spirituality was. So if genuine spirituality and Christian living meant an obedient heart towards God, we're going to see here that Jesus is going to address by saying, hey, you have heard that it was said of those of, those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murder will be liable to judgment. He's quoting one of the commandments of not murdering, and he's saying, you have been taught, you have understanding that you shall not murder. And many of them, including the religious leader, lived a life thinking that so long as they did not murder somebody, they have kept the commandment to its fullest. They have kept that commandment. They were righteous in that commandment. And Jesus is saying, this is what you have been taught to know. This is what you think is be true. But let me explain to you what it truly means. He says, for, he says to them in verse 22, but I say to you now, he's not disregarding the, 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 the commandment. He's not removing, he's not abolishing, but he's explaining what the commandment really means. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hells of fire. You see, you had people here in the crowd that thought that just like the religious leader, they were good as so long as they didn't kill somebody. And they were the type of people that would live their life and they would treat others with disregard. They had anger in their life. And, and now we need to clarify something, what kind of anger we're talking about. Because in the Christian circle, we're quick to assume that every anger that we're referring to often is a righteous anger. And often we find ourselves being okay with being angry because we think that this anger is righteous. Righteous anger being that emotional feeling that you feel towards injustice, towards those things that oppose God, that leads you into action. But the type of anger that we see here is a different anger. It's an anger that is a behavioral desire of passions that leads to indignation, that leads to vengeance, that leads to wrath, to emotional hurt, and ultimately to murder. This is the type of anger that we're seeing referred to here in this passage. This is what we're talking, that's what Jesus is talking about. How these people among the crowds grew up hearing, so long as you don't kill somebody, you are righteous. And now Jesus is saying, it's not just the final act of disobedience of killing that makes you unrighteous. It is also at the heart, at the very beginning, at the very get-go, it's what also makes you, makes you unrighteous. And here's the thing about anger. If we say that genuine spirituality and Christian living requires us to have an obedient heart towards God, this is what anger does to us. Anger is the opposite of love. It prevents you and me from doing the very things that God has called us to be. It keeps us from being obedient to God. This is what 
anger does in our heart. And so in the crowd and in the people here, you see how they grew up hearing that you shall not murder. And Jesus saying to them, but let me tell this to you. Not only that you are liable to judgment if you murder somebody, but also if you go out and you curse at somebody, if you go out and you call them names, you are also liable to judgment. You may not be liable to a man-made counsel, but you are certainly liable to God. For you see, God is not so concerned simply on our actions if they're not going accordance to our heart. Jesus is more concerned about the heart, or God is more concerned about our hearts than maybe the, than, than the actions that we take. And so we see here in the passage, the very first thing that Jesus is addressing as an example of what genuine spirituality and Christian living was, he's addressing the importance of having an obedience heart. And in this area of anger, it's not just the fact that you don't kill somebody. That's not just you being disregarded of the act, but also how you deal with others. Now let's put it in our context today. Because we, I mean, I hope that there's none of us here today that will say, yeah, I'm a murderer. I've killed somebody. At least I hope. And if you are, then raise your hand so that Chip Falls can know who you are. But we will go around, we would assume that no one here has actually done that. Now here's the thing. We know that to be true and we can live our life thinking that we are okay, that we have kept that commandment. But yet again, we tend to be the type of people that we're quickly to, that, that we have anger in our life. We may not characterize ourselves as an angry person. We may not think that, yeah, I'm someone who deals with anger. But there are spurts of moment in our life where we do have times of anger. Where your spouse says something to you or do something to you that you are already bothered with that, that you already took the time to address it. And they do it again and you get frustrated. And that frustration leads you into anger towards your spouse. Your kids that are not listening, that you talk to them and you say to them, hey, don't do this. And they do that very thing once again. You get mad at them and you get angry. Some of us may have done that even today coming to church. Right before we walk into the doors, we got, may have been angry to our kids. Or maybe your teachers or your parents, you feel that they disregard everything that you say to them. And that they don't care about what, you, what, what, about what you're saying. And so you get angry at them. Or you think about that bad driver, that bad politician, that bad neighbor, and the examples can go on. And we can quickly say that us too, just like the crowd, we think that just because we don't go out killing somebody, we're without guilt. But what Jesus is trying for them to understand, and what we need to understand, is that it's not just the final act of disobedience that makes us unrighteous, but even that first step of letting that emotional fear or emotional feeling. That behavioral passion that leads us into indignation, that leads us into vengeance, that leads us into wrath and, and emotional hurt and ultimately into murder. That too is something that we're not to do. And so we need to understand that as people who are meek, people who are hunger and thirsty for righteousness, people that are called to be pure in hearts, people that are peacemaker, people who are called to be the light and the salt of this world, we should have no room for anger in our life. That genuine spirituality, that Christian living has no room for anger in our life. That us, just like in the crowd, as we come here to the church on Sunday, with the hope of growing in our relationship with God, with the hope of learning more about God, we need to understand that we 
need to be obedient in not having room for anger in our life. And then Jesus continues to develop the story or the conversation. First, it was what you have against somebody. Now he's talking about what someone may have against you. And so he goes on and he says in verse 23, he says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift again. Now, I love the picture that he's, Jesus is portraying here because it, it shows the importance and the seriousness of us reconciling with others, of us living in harmony with one another. You see, in the Jewish culture, it is, and even at this time, it was, safe to, it was safe to assume that the majority, if not all of them, was well aware or understood very well what it was the act of sacrifice. See, in the Old Testament, early on, even as early as Adam, you see, you see people, you see uh, people that follow God demonstrating sacrifice. It was an opportunity where they came before God and they offer an atonement or they offer something in their place as a way of forgiveness for their sin. That the penalty of sin is death. But in God's grace, he would allow for the believers or for the, for the people in the Old Testament to present a sacrifice in their place as a way to, to, to meet that, that penalty, to pay for that penalty. That is why we celebrate and we, and we talk about how Jesus is the perfect lamb that took our place forever. And that when he took our place for our sins, for our mistakes, there is no longer more need for sacrifice. Because his blood, his sacrifice paid it all and paid it all in full. And so we can rejoice in that. But in this crowd, they were very aware, aware of what it was like to offer sacrifice to God. It required individuals to spend time raising these animals. Spend time nurturing this animal. It required them to recognize the fact that they are to give the most valuable possession. They were not to give just the worst animal or the leftover animal. They were supposed to give the best animal that they had. So it required not only, not only did it have a financial need, not only did it cut them physical labor, but it also involved their social, their social awareness because they had to go to the temple and in front of everybody they had to present this animal as a way of sacrifice to God. And what Jesus is saying here, that what that thing which you think is the most important religious thing that you could ever do, that thing which you think that is the most or the best example of God, of you honoring God, which is for you to come to his temple and offer sacrifice as a way of forgiveness to your sin. He's saying to them, as you go to do that and you find out and you remember that someone has something against you, you are to leave that on the altar and you are to go out and reconcile with your brother. What? You mean to tell me that this thing that I have worked so hard to do for you, God, I need to just leave it there and go out and find this person that has something against me? That's their problem. That's their responsibility. They should be the one coming to me and asking for forgiveness. They should be the one taking the first step to reconcile. Why should I leave from what I'm doing, which is supposed to honor you, which is supposed to bring you glory? Why am I supposed to live this right there and do this other thing? Why? It makes no sense. 
And what we see here is that Jesus is doing something that he will continue to do throughout his ministry. is to demonstrate that God is more pleased and concerned about the heart of people than the, the, their participation on ceremonial acts. Than their ceremonial performance. We see that God is more concerned about the hearts of people than what, how they do and what they do. That it doesn't matter if you participate in all of this ceremony or acts. If your heart is not in it, if your heart is not obedient to the Lord, then you are done nothing. It's pointless. And so what he's doing here is not something new. Because you see even in the book of Hosea, you have the nation of Israel that they have devoted themselves to welcome the teachings and the, and the lifestyle of the pagan or the not so godly people in their area. And they have embraced that. And they would have spent their life doing this thing. And yet they thought that if they would perform sacrifice, they could win the favor of God. So anytime they had something going on big, they will offer sacrifice to God, thinking that this is what God, that what pleases God. And yet their life, their lifestyle was a complete mess because they were doing whatever they wanted to do. And they thought, just again, that just by performing a sacrifice, it will be good. And in Hosea 6, 6, it says, the prophet says to the nation, he says, speaking, in, 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 in speaking as God, or God speaking to the nation through the prophets, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offering. We see even in the, in the passage that we're reading today how, how the, Jesus described that verse right there in saying that even if you are in the act of sacrifice, you leave that animal there and you go and you reconcile with that person that you know that has something against you. That God is more pleased about your hearts than you taking the participation in ceremonies or in, in religious ceremonies. And so we think about us today. And think about how quick we are to come to church and disregard everything that God is speaking to us or disregard uh, what we know we need to do because we think we're okay because we're here in church. I'm guilty of this. I remember for the longest time in my life, early when I was 15, 16 years old, I got hurt by this individual. And I got hurt so bad that I had bitterness in my heart and anger in my heart. And any time that I saw a picture of him or any time I heard about him, I, my, my, I would get mad about the fact that this of what he did. And I felt that it was my right to be mad. And I felt that it was my, uh, you know, that I have this free card to feel the way that I felt because he was the one who was in problem. And I would come to church and it was time for communion. And we're going to participate in communion later today. And we're, it was time for communion. And we, also, and we always give a time in communion for us to examine ourselves and to reflect. And every single time I will remember this individual's name. It will come to my mind. Every single time. And I will find myself arguing with God saying that I deserve to be angry at this man because he was the one who did this to me. See, God is more concerned about our hearts than being part of ceremony or acts. It doesn't matter if you come to church and you sing four songs. If you're not obedient to him, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you come to church and you tie your money, you give your money to the, to, the, to the ministry of the church. If you're not obedient to God every day of your life, it doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter that you participate in ABF, that you serve in the children's wing, that you do X, Y, and Z. If your heart is not at it, if your heart is not obedient to God, it does not matter. Those things are great, and we as believers should be participating in all those things. But if our heart is not an obedient heart towards God in all that he says, then it does not matter. And that is what you see here. He's saying that even if you hear somebody or you remember that somebody has something against you, you need to leave whatever you're doing and go out and resolve. How crazy would it be in the middle of the service right now, names started popping in your head and you just got up and left the church because you need to mend those relationships. That is how serious this is right here. This is what Jesus is telling them to understand. This is what Christian or genuine Christianity or Christian living looks like. It's for you to recognize that the Lord is more concerned about your obedient heart than you participating on all of the ceremonial acts. And then he ends his, this, this portion by switching to this idea of anger. And you see here, and you see here at the very end, he says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift, therefore, before the altar, and go first and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And then in verse 25, he says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser. While you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put to prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out of, until you have paid the last penny. In this last portion, you see, Jesus started by saying, if you have something against somebody, this is what you ought to do. If someone has something against you, this is what you ought to do. And to wrap it all together, he's saying, this is how you need to come to terms quickly with those that have something against you, with your accuser. See, in the Roman law, it will give them an opportunity for the accuser and the defendant to walk towards the, the, the jury or the, or the court together. And this was done so that the accuser and the defendant could have an opportunity where they could address and, and come to a mutual agreement. If they, if they were able to come to a mutual agreement before the, they step at the court, then nothing would have happened at the court. But if they were not able to come to an agreement and they made it to the court, Whatever it was the verdict, the verdict, it will stay good for good. Whatever the judge or the, or the court will decide to be true or to be the, the, the penalty, that was to happen regardless of nothing. And so you see here that Jesus is telling him, this is how quick you need to be. You have to, it says in verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. In other words, make sure that you take the opportunity that you have to go to court and resolve whatever you need to resolve so that you don't have to stand in the court. Because when you stand in the court, and beat this your, 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 your log, if you want to call it that, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put into prison. This could be the thing, this is what you're potentially avoiding if you are quick to resolve. For you see in the, old, in the, in, in, in the Roman law, one of the ways that you would pay somebody for your penalty was that if you owe money, if you owe somebody something, you were able to pay that by either selling your possessions or giving your possessions or by servanthood, meaning that you will become a servant to them for a period of time as a way of payment. Otherwise, it would happen what Jesus says next. He says, truly I say to you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. 
that in the Roman law, you were not to leave prison until the last very penny was paid of your sentence. This is what Jesus is saying to them. That Christian, that Christian, uh, uh, that genuine, genuine, uh, uh, genuine spirituality and Christian living requires us to have a heart of quick to reconcile. That we need to be quick to come to terms to reconcile with our brothers. And here's what I love about this example that we see here. Because even in the book of Romans, and you think about the book of Romans, you think about the audience that Paul is writing. It's a group of believers that found themselves in a very depraved and dangerous culture. Where the Romans were out to get Christians. Not only did they abuse them, not only did they... Uh, were mean to them or, you know, did things to them, but also to the point of killing some of them. And every believer in that culture should have had the right to feel angry and to feel however they wanted to fail. And yet we see the example, we see what Paul challenged them to do. He says to them in Romans 12, 18, he says, if possible, if there's any possibility, if there's anything that allows you to have that opportunity, so far as it depends on you, so far as it is in your ability to do something, live peaceably with all. Live in peace with every single one. So far as it depends on you, so far as it depends on me, we are to live in peace with everyone. And yet we live in a culture today that is not as it's wicked, but we're not being persecuted here in America just yet, at least. And yet we, are, we find ourselves, I found myself thinking that I have the right to be angry and to do all of these things. And yet we see the call of Paul that he has to the people in Romans. He says, as long as it is possible, as it is depending on you, meaning the ball is always in your court, you need to do what you need to do to live in peace with us. And I think about the example of Jesus. And I think about how Jesus, he's going on the cross and we said earlier about how his steadfast love keeps him from being quick to anger. He's slow to anger to us. And we talk about how even though we continue to dis be disobedient to him, even though we continue to dishonor him, he's still slow to anger to us. We see the example in Jesus as he's taking on the journey to the cross. He had already been betrayed. He knows that one of his disciples is going to deny him. He knows the type of journey that he's about to endure. And they come, this prisoner or this guard comes to him. And he's going to apprehend him. The very person that is going to take him on the journey of the cross, the very person that is the deliverer that to, 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 the, to the council where they're going to give him the, the, uh, the penalty. You see how Peter pulls out his sword and cuts his ear. And instead of Jesus feeling anger and saying, this is what you deserve, don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I'm capable? Don't you know who you're standing before of? We see that Jesus just goes ahead and seals the man. Not only there, as the journey continues to go on, we see how in the cross, as he had already been beaten, betrayed, spit on, humili humili humiliated, his prayer to the Father is not send your angels and devour and destroy every single one of them that have offended. Message. That all that they had to do was to not commit murder. And they were okay on this term of reconciliation or on the, on the idea of uh, righteousness. And yet you see how Jesus is in his discourse, he's telling to them, hey, to 
be, to be a true Christian, to Christ, genuine, live, genuine spirituality and Christian living requires us to be obedient to God. To the extent of not having room of anger, not having any room for anger, to make haste to reconcile with others, to recognize that God is more concerned about our hearts and not us participating on ceremonial acts, but also to be quick to reconciliate. This is what we see here in the passage today.